Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 43 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. And my guest today is six feet, five inches, 250 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. At least that's what he told me to say. No, actually, he didn't. I, I came up with that one on my own. But he is the 2019 Top Prospect Tournament winner. And if you didn't know all of that, well, shame on you. He is Dak Draper. Dak, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, even though I didn't tell you that, I feel like uh, I just really gave off the air that uh, you should give me some kind of introduction like that. So thank you for uh, meeting me that, with that introduction. Oh, no it was problem. Adequate. It's adequate. Okay, well, I'll, you know, next time, if you're on the show again, uh, I'll, I'll try harder to come up with something better next time. Well, I feel like that's kind of a thing, though. You know, the, the best is adequate for the Mile High Magnum. <laughs> okay, very good. You got to well, know your worth. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree with that. Uh, and speaking of knowing your worth, boy, that, that just segues right into my first question because you won a poll recently on ROHWrestling.com. I think it was last month. Uh, we asked who among five competitors that we listed would be the breakout star of 2021, and you won that poll. So what's your reaction to that? Did, did the fans get that one right, Dak? Duh. <laughs> My reaction to that is, duh, I'd be, I try not to, uh, while, while I will share things and I'll encourage people to, uh, to post on the internet and to support me on the internet, I try not to, uh, to pay too much attention to things that I can't control, like, uh, like polls, like fans, how fans vote in polls. I just try and focus on myself and on staying uh, as successful as I can be because I feel like the fruits of my work and the fruits of uh, the success that I have are when people that I don't know think things like that, when they say, or when they know, when they recognize that, yeah, Dak Draper is going to be the breakout star of 2021 in Ring of Honor. Like, that's, that's a no-brainer, and I feel like I have built up that equity with my performances, with my performance at Final Battle, with my performances leading up to Final Battle, by winning the Top Prospect Tournament. So I'm not surprised, and, you know, frankly, I'm not pissed off, because I'd be pretty pissed off if I didn't win that poll. All right, that makes sense. Well, hey, man, you got to be, like you said, you got to know your worth. You got to be confident in yourself. Uh, or if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? But I got to know, let's, let's tell the truth here. Did, did you, did your family, did you guys all vote in that poll? Like, did you, did you, is there a, like oh, a, no. a, no? No way. I would never do that. I, listen, I want to keep my family as far away from professional wrestling <laughs> as possible. Because my, my mom, mom, Mama Draper, she is uh she is a vicious woman, and I don't want her asking me questions, asking me about uh, this wrestler, this wrestler. And uh, no, I, I keep them as far away. Th those poll results are as genuine as you can get. You can certify those, and uh, and they are they are the god's honest truth. Okay, well, everyone is excited about Dak Draper because Dak Draper is the future of Ring of Honor. All right, so we can certify those election results. That's that's you know been in the news the past few weeks. So there's there was no there was no fraud. In this poll, it was 
I, I can certify that there was zero fraud in this Ring of Honor poll. Like I don't, I don't know anyone at Facebook. I don't know anyone. Uh, I don't, I don't know anyone that was involved except for Dak Draper. And Dak Draper being involved does enough to certify that these these results these results are official. Well, I could tell you one of the other um, choices in the poll was Brian Johnson, and I know <laughs> Brian was not happy that he did not win the poll. Brian Johnson wasn't happy. He usually has such a cheery demeanor. He's usually the guy to brighten everybody's day. That's weird. Yeah, when we had him on the show a few weeks ago, and boy, what a disaster that turned out to be. Um, <laughs> I have heard. Yeah, it was, it was not good. Probably the low point of my career, my, uh, my long and illustrious career in, uh, in journalism. Um, you know, I have, I have a, I've been dealing with Brian Johnson since late 2018. He's the first person that I met when I moved to Baltimore and started training at the Ring of Honor Dojo. And I have a great, uh, I've got some great exercises. It's actually one great exercise. It's a mental exercise in dealing with Brian Johnson. So all you need to do is whenever Brian tweets something or says something mean, you just need to shut your eyes and picture Dak Draper giving Brian Johnson a Magnum KO over and over again. And if you need reference, I've, I've done the move to him tons of times in Ring of Honor matches. So you can watch any of Brian Johnson in my matches, whether it's from Future of Honor, from, uh, from YouTube exclusives, or even in uh, our most recent Pure Rules match. You can just watch me just give Brian Johnson the Magnum KO over and over. And I guarantee whatever Brian Johnson said that pissed you off or that rubbed you the wrong way, you'll be feeling better in no time. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. that. That's good advice for everybody out there because I think Brian Johnson, I think he pisses a lot of people off, except apparently he has this crew in, uh, in Philadelphia. Like these Philly people seem to love him for some reason. But then again, you know, they've always been a little odd, I think, in Philly. They're the people, they're the people that threw snowballs at Santa Claus. What do you expect? Exactly. Exactly. So we got to take that with a grain of salt for sure. People in Colorado don't do that. Oh, they would never. Well, the thing about Colorado is uh, in Colorado, you got 300 days of sunshine a year anyway. So if it's, it's either sunny or it's snowing. And because of that, everybody, everybody's happy. You know, it's not like Philly. It's always so overcast. It's always so dreary. And, you know, if I was Brian Johnson, I probably would have picked a better place to be from. <laughs> you know, just a little sidetrack here. Back in like 2001, I interviewed for a job at the Denver post and they flew me up to Denver and um, you know, I spent a day there. They actually, they offered me the job, but I had another job offer in Baltimore, which of course is my hometown. And I chose Baltimore over Denver in retrospect. (laughs) Was that a mistake? Yes, absolutely. That was a mistake. (laughs) I can't, unless, unless eating blue crab is just, the most important thing in your life. If it's more important than being able to stare at beautiful mountains every day, more important than the sun shining down on your head 300 days a year, more important than being able to cheer for the Denver Broncos, then okay. But if, if it was me, if it was any other sane person, I'm not saying you're insane, but I'm not saying you're sane after you chose uh, staying in Baltimore, after you knew what Baltimore is like over Denver. Because Denver is a beautiful city. Yeah, I can tell you my wife, was, uh, who's also from Baltimore, she was all for it. She was ready to go. She's like, let's go to Denver. And I just felt that, you know, the tug of your hometown kind of, it just, it just pulled me in that direction. But Denver was a beautiful place. But you know what? When I went there, I had a headache. And people explained to me that it was the altitude. Like, that's a real thing. Um, oh, yeah. So when you're born in Denver, though, I guess you just, you don't even realize it, right? 
you don't even realize it. And then growing up there where the air is thin, your body adapts. So you can just, you get used to breathing less air. And I think that's, that's really helped me out later on in uh, athletics. So going through amateur wrestling, high school football and stuff like that, I was always competing against kids from Colorado. And then I'd get on the national stage and all of a sudden I'm in way better shape than everybody. And it's really because people that live at high elevation, their cardio, their wind's just a little bit better. So you'll see me in matches sometimes when I'm going after guys, I'll start to, I'll start to squeeze the midsection. I'll be squeeze, squeezing, the, uh, squeezing on the neck a little bit, just trying to use my weight to lean on guys, to wear them out a little bit, to get them breathing heavy because I don't need as many breaths to stay in shape. I don't need as many breaths to stay fresh. And so uh, that's something as I've, become, as I've become more experienced and become a little smarter that I've started to use to my advantage very, very successfully. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost an unfair advantage, but I guess there's nothing you can do about it. You can't help where you're from and well, what the altitude when it comes to, is like. When it comes to fairness, I'm, I'm six foot five, 250 pounds, and I move like a cat. Like, <laughs> what really is fair? Did I'll I also you, mention yeah. that I'm handsome and humble? Yeah, I'll tell you what. For people like me who aren't six foot five, 250 pounds, um, handsome, I don't know, it's in the eye of the beholder, probably not as handsome as, as uh, you've been told. That, I, I have not been told that I'm as handsome as you are. I'm sure that's a, that's a fact. So, uh, well, yeah. It, it's how, many time, how many times a day do people stop you on the street and ask you if you're handsome? Uh, that never happened. I don't think that's ever happened in my lifetime. Oh, man. Just like earlier today, I was taking my dog outside and this little old lady, her name was Ethel, I think. She was like, <laughs> oh, my God, Dad, are you Dad Draper? You're just so handsome. I usually don't <laughs> stop people. And I was like, so yeah, no, no, that's my cousin. You know, you, you can't keep these people. You can't have these people get too close to you. So yeah, I told her I wasn't. I'm guessing it doesn't suck to wake up every day knowing that you're Dak Draper. That that must be a good thing. Listen, my greatest fear is waking up, looking down, and seeing that my feet aren't as far away from me as when uh, when I went to sleep and realizing that I woke up and I'm not Dak Draper. That would be the worst thing that would ever happen to me. You know, it's one of the reasons I'm going to get back to Brian Johnson. It's one of the reasons why I think he's so angry. I think you're part of that. Your name came up on, on the show when he was on and, and he just feels like, you know, like life just kind of smiled on you and, and that because of your size and your looks, you've been handed things and that, you know, a guy that looks like Brian, like he, he hasn't been handed things, but I, I told him that you didn't, ha you, you really weren't handed anything. You did win legitimately the top prospect tournament and you beat the guy, Austin Gunn, who beat Brian in the first round. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know where his, uh, where his gripe is with that. But I knew from the moment I met Brian that uh, he was going to have a problem with me. When, yeah. when the Ring of Honor dojo, when it moved, the new dojo opened in Baltimore, when it moved to Baltimore, they had a small class and we had a certain date that we were supposed to report by. Well, everybody else had to do this dojo tryout, and I didn't go to the dojo tryout, and I still got invited to the dojo. And so we had a date to report. And listen, it was summertime in Colorado. So uh, I might have showed up a week, two weeks late. It was two weeks to be exact. So I show up two weeks late, and the first guy I meet there is Brian Johnson. He's there early. He's stretching. He's doing everything he needs to do. His, both of his knee pads are the same color. His boots are laced up. He looks great. And I kind of come in and uh, – and I've got one mismatched knee pad on, but you could just tell Brian can do everything he can to try and make him look himself look like a star. Dak Draper just is a star. And I could see that look, that malice in his eyes from like the moment that I met him. He tried to be nice. He tried to be cordial. But I could tell that there was just a burning jealousy in his soul towards 
guys like Dak Draper and specifically towards Dak Draper. Yeah. Well, I would imagine you get that a lot. There's got to be a lot of jealousy when you're Dak oh, Draper. I feel like I just walk through life, and a lot of times I'm almost I'm – almost, uh, I don't even know that it's going on. I don't even know that uh, – I don't even know that people that people are upset with me that they're jealous of me because you know you just get so used to it after a while. You think some people are just unfriendly. It's like no, they just wish that they were six foot five. They wish that they were handsome. They wish that they had as much charisma as Dak Draper. They wish that everybody would just come up and tell them how handsome they are and how they should be in movies. But not everybody gets that. Yeah. So it's, it's a blessing and a curse, really. Well, I, I yeah, I mean more of a blessing, I would say, but. Uh... Well, yeah. yeah, I think I guess it's it's Dak Draper's world, and the rest of us, we're just living in it, man. You know, that's a really good way to put it. You're you're you you got a way with words, Kevin. I've been told that. That's the one thing I'm 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 good at. I think is uh, is a way with words and and writing. Can it. you imagine? Can you imagine if in 2001 you had accepted that job at the De- at the Denver Post, and then you could have spent not right away in 2001, but if you had stayed there for a while, you could have written about. Dak Draper, Dak Draper is a star high school athlete, and Dak Draper is a star college athlete. Man, those would have been the best articles you ever would have written. <laughs> probably, probably. Uh, yeah, I did my research on you uh, for this interview, and we'll talk about your athletic background. But, yeah, that's, that's the real deal. Like, you were, you were a stud athlete in high school and college. So we'll get to all that. But uh, I want to ask you first, I want to talk about uh, ROH right now and the TV tapings. Of course. Because I know you've been at the um, the last few set of tapings, which have certainly been a unique experience uh, for everyone involved. What was being in the bubble like for you? So I've been a part of every bubble. And the, it's kind of cool because the bubbles have changed where the first bubble was, uh, well, they've kind of changed with the testing protocols. So I feel like the rapid tests were really rare and hard to find when, uh, the first bubble started, I think it was like back in August, maybe. And so it was like, we had to, we had to show up, you had to go down and get tested your first day. And then you had to quarantine for like three or four days. This is for the uh, pure tournament. Right. I'm also sitting there as an alternate for the pure tournament. So I'm just pissed in uh, my apartment or not my apartment in uh, the hotel. And uh, there was a lot more waiting. And now I feel like with the rapid testing, it's uh, there's a day shaved off of the bubble. So it's one day shorter. Uh, but I think the big thing that stands out is if you don't use the time wisely, it will fly by because you think you have all this time. And I guess it's a good metaphor for life. You think you have all this time until you have, until you don't have the time anymore. So you can, uh, you can like try and wake up early and you can work out, you can, uh, study tape and stuff like that. You can try and film some vlogs, but you could also just lay there and watch TV and if you do that, your day is just all of a sudden it's 5 p.m. and you haven't done anything. So uh, I think it's one of those things where it's it's like if you don't have a lot to do, you better do what you what you have, what like what's uh, uh, an option or otherwise you're just not going to do anything. Right. So what yeah. I'm saying is the bubble drives you crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that from a good number of people, although some people seem to have enjoyed, I guess, kind of the solitude of it and. Uh, maybe getting away from everything for a little while and, you know, having some time to your own thoughts. But yeah, I guess at the end, it's, it's what you make of it. It's what you make of that time. So yeah. what did you do? Let's go back before uh, we resume tapings, before the bubble, the five months or so that ROH was on hiatus, we weren't doing any live events. 
Everybody was kind of on lockdown in their homes. Uh, what did you do in those five or six months there to keep yourself busy, to keep yourself from going crazy? So the last show before lockdown, the last Ring of Honor show that had fans was the Gateway to Honor show where I unfortunately narrowly lost to Dragon Lee, challenging for the uh, Ring of Honor World Television Championship. So losses are pretty rare for me. And I had to do a lot of soul searching. So the first couple of weeks when we thought that, uh, you know, this is only going to last a couple of weeks and everything will be back to normal. It was just kind of soul searching, trying to bounce back from the loss, just doing, doing my same workouts that I'd been doing, but maybe working out just a little bit harder, doing a little bit more cardio. And as it seemed like the bubble was, or the uh, quarantine was going to last longer and longer, I did something that I've never done before in my life. I studied. I started studying, I started studying a lot about uh, human physiology, about how the body works, about, uh, about dieting, about uh, nutrition. I really wanted to uh, take this time to strengthen some of my weaknesses, where if we had been traveling and wrestling a full schedule, that I wouldn't have had time to do. So I really focused on my flexibility, on my balance, on getting my body to work together, and, uh, and then focusing on my diet, on fueling my body right, on, on little tricks, on... Uh, on meal timing, on all kinds of stuff like that, where I feel like before I always had the, the attitude that I was just born genetically perfect. Like I need to work out and stuff to maintain it, but I don't need to use all this science to try and make myself better. How can you make the mile high magnum better? And over this time, I've really, really realized that you can make anything better. And so uh, using diet, using uh, more, uh, I'd say more uh, advanced uh almost physical therapy like uh, exercises to help the way that my whole body moves. Uh, I've just really gone out of my comfort zone with uh, taking care of my physique and taking care of my body. And uh, I've, obviously I feel like I've come into each of these bubble shows and I've been a better wrestler than I was previously. And I feel like I've continuous, I feel like Dak Draper in the bubble is a problem for the rest of, for the rest of the pure division. And uh I think that it wouldn't be the case as much if I hadn't put in that work and done something that I was usually very, very, uh, very uh, not prone to do, which was study. Now, see, you say that, but I'm going to I'm going to call you out on that, Dak, oh, yeah. because, you know, I did my uh, did my research and I found unless, you know, you padded the resume, but I found that you were not only a uh, all state wrestler in high school and Pro foot, uh, not pro football, high school football, you know, player, football of the player, year, yeah. player of the year and all that, mm -hmm. all these accolades. I also saw that you were an academic all state. Now, was that true or is that something you did? You pad your resume with that? Was so, that a lie? I was academic all state my junior year in high school. So for, you studied? Uh, for, oh, no, I didn't need to study for that. It's high school. <laughs> high school is the easiest thing in the world. I, uh, <laughs> It was so funny because we got this, I got, my family got this thing in the mail and my mother cried tears of joy in our kitchen when we got this academic all-state uh, certificate in the mail because she'd, she'd seen me since a little kid win all these performance-related awards, all these little gold medals, all these player of the year certificates, but that was always for my athletic performance. And for an academic thing, it was so foreign to her and it's hilarious because it's something I didn't even try. I was 16 years old. It's not like I buckled down and tried to get good grades. It was just like, oh, well, 
I guess, uh, I guess I'm smart this semester. And because it's just, that's the thing. I'm naturally, I'm a smart guy. It's just, that's a, like I said before, it's a blessing and a curse where you can get by on not studying. You're not going to study. And so I got by, I just got by way better than I typically got by. Wow. So brains wow. and brawn. Brains and brawn. You know, the, the other Real thing nice. is, the other thing I was thinking is, you know, when, when you're a big time high school athlete, like you were, the coaches tend to kind of tell the teachers, like, make sure he, he, he gets good grades. So did, was there some of that, with that academic all state? I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do okay. think there were some teachers that had a problem with athletes that had it out for me. And maybe the coaches had to be like, Hey, you know, back it off. Stop, stop going after my man, Dak Draper so much. Like he's tired. We've had game. He's tired. You know, we had a late practice. We had a, we had an, we had an away match. that was far away. You know, maybe, maybe don't go after him. Don't, don't try and sink the shit. Don't, uh, Right. Don't uh, slaughter our golden goose. Like maybe there's a little bit of that, but uh, you know, no, no coach has ever had to just straight up tell a teacher to get to give me good grades. Like I'm, I'm smarter than that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to insinuate. I was just, you know, this, <laughs> it happens. It happens. It didn't happen in your case, but certainly it does happen. So let me let me get this straight about about high school. You played uh, football in the fall. You wrestled in the winter. Did you not play any spring sports? Spring sport was uh, freestyle wrestling. So I would I would be in club wrestling for uh, for the spring where I would I'd focus on weightlifting and then uh, so free so with wrestling there's collegiate wrestling which is like what they do in high school the the style that they do in college and then the styles that they have in the Olympics are freestyle and Greco Roman which are the rules are a little bit different and that's what they do all over the world collegiate only happens in the U S and so uh, I would do freestyle and Greco Roman in the off season and it was mainly away because football, I was better at football than I was at amateur wrestling, but I loved amateur wrestling more. And so it was kind of cool to be on a club team where it wasn't, it wasn't my high school. It was like a group of kids that were usually, if they're doing off-season wrestling, they're towards the upper levels of their teams too. So it's kind of like the best of the best all on a team together. And we're all just going around to these tournaments, like wrestling and hanging out. And uh, so my springs were awesome. That was a uh, that was probably the closest to how I felt to traveling around for pro wrestling uh, up until that all stopped with COVID. Right. Where it was just like, like you're all, you're like, you got a bunch of your buddies together. You're all really good at the same thing. You're all really good at the same thing. And you travel around and showcase that in different cities. Like it was some of the best times that I had in high school. Let me back up a second to talking about um, the ROH TV tapings again. Wrestling in front of no fans. And again, I've asked, you know, people that have been on the show before about it. Some said it was really no big deal or some said it was, you know, it was kind of awkward. Like they took some time to get used to it. What was it like for you coming out and there's nobody there? Oh, it was really weird. Yeah. I feel like I am one of the main reasons that I enjoy doing well in things is the attention that you get. Like, I don't like to just straight up try and ask for attention or try and get people's attention, but I love when people just kind of turn their head like, damn, that guy's really good. Or where some, where people just organically are impressed by you. That's the best feeling that I can get. And it's like, it's not something that you can just, uh, that you can just make somebody, I can't just walk down the street and be like, Hey, look at me. Look, look, look how tall I am. It's, it's not the same thing. And so uh, that really took away one of my favorite parts of wrestling, which is being able to walk down and have the crowd just look at you in awe and do to impress them and to get that reaction out of them. Um, 
that was one of my favorite things about wrestling. And so it's definitely forced me to uh, refocus onto some things that like, that, uh, onto some things that I also enjoy, like, sorry, I had a little dog biting my ankle just now, dog draper. Um, I had to refocus on some things like, uh, like my love of, my, my love of grappling, you know, like I, I grew up as an amateur wrestler and I feel like a lot of the times I would let the crowd get me out of my, of my love of grappling, where instead of trying, instead of trying to, uh, instead of trying to be real technical at the start of a match, maybe I'm kind of out on the apron where the guy can't touch me and I'm, you know, John with somebody in the crowd because that's what I enjoyed, but maybe that's not necessarily what I needed to do. So while I miss the, the fans, it has really, really enabled me to uh, refocus on what's important, which is what's happening in, inside of the ropes. Well, and that's a great point because I know just recently it was announced that you had moved over into the pure division, which I guess with your amateur background, you know, being a standout in, in high school, as we said, in college, that that just plays – the pure style plays right into your strengths. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't – it's funny because it does play into my strengths, but that wasn't even my reasoning for wanting to move to the pure division. My reasoning was that when you – I'm a singles wrestler, and when you see Ring of Honor television, most singles matches that happen happen in the pure division that are, te that are televised right now right and then when you look at when you look at the fraction of uh singles matches that aren't in the pure division very very few of them are in our television division are 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 affecting the rankings for the uh roh tv the world tv championship so i want like i said before i want to be where the attention is and if all the attention is in the pure division right now that's the division that i want to climb that's the division that i want to make myself the man that and is so a, while, so I feel like it's a tailored fit for me where it's what I want. It's what my skill set suited for. Um, so it was really a no brainer for me. That is a very astute observation. I had not even thought of that, but you're right. Now that you say it, it does seem like most of the singles matches on TV are the pure rules matches. So it would only make sense that you would want to be in that division. So you really are a smart guy. Like I, I take, I, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing for suggesting that, that maybe your teachers gave you a break in high school. Well, Kevin, you know, we all make mistakes. Hey, even if they did give me a break, I'm sure it was just because they, they just wanted to see me succeed so well. So, you know, there's no harm, no foul there. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I hate to keep bringing this guy's name up, but, but I want to bring up Brian Johnson again since we were just talking about the pure division. Your, your only pure rules match to this point was against Brian. It's a match you did win. Um, I want to maybe peel the curtain back just a little bit here. You and Brian – both kind of have a similar uh, mindset in that you're not guys that the fans like. I think in the business we call it being a heel. Um, and heel versus heel matches sometimes can be difficult, but I thought you guys really pulled it off. I mean, can you just speak to that at all as far as being two guys in the ring that uh, the fans don't necessarily like to cheer for? Well, I think that's because we're two very different kinds. Like, I, I will agree that some fans, a lot, most fans don't like Brian Johnson. And I do agree that some uneducated fans don't like Dak Draper. But that's where the similarities end. They don't like Brian Johnson because Brian Johnson's a miserable person. The people that don't like Dak Draper, they don't like Dak Draper 
because Dak Draper is tall, Dak Draper is handsome, Dak Draper is – it's all out of jealousy. It's all because they're miserable people. So that's why I think that match, while you look at, oh, yeah, these guys get, these guys get booed a lot, or these guys are, uh, are quote-unquote heels, we're two very different kinds of – we're very, two very different kinds of individuals, and that's why I think that match went the way that it did, where, yeah, Brian's, Brian's upset and Brian's always yelling at people, and Brian uh, – Brian wants people to know how pissed off he is. I'm not pissed off about anything. Why do I need to be pissed off? I'm Dak Draper. I love being Dak Draper. I was going to say, why would you be? What do you have to be angry yeah. about? Yeah. So Brian's pissed off, and that's why people don't like him. I'm not pissed off, and people are suddenly pissed off at me. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite the conundrum. Jealousy is, jealousy is a hell of a thing that affects our, uh, our nation. I tell you. Well, you would know better than most. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I would. Yeah, I, I have... see it from very high up. I have a feeling if we had fans for that match, I mean, honestly, when we had fans, you didn't get cheered a whole lot, as we just said. But I have a feeling anyone would get cheered if he's facing Brian Johnson. I think that's fair to say. I think you'd have been the fan favorite in that match. Unless you're in a weird place like Philadelphia. Uh, of course. I don't even there's know. Weird, there's weird creatures in Philly that just, they come out in their green Eagle sweatshirts and they climb the light posts and – yeah, it's, it's, it's weird there. It's, it's not a good place. I'm not even fully convinced that if we were in Philly in front of fans that Brian Johnson would really be cheered. I think it's kind of this, this group of online uh, sort of uh, malcontents, miscreants. I think, I think they're the ones that really love Brian Johnson. I don't think that the masses in Philadelphia really do. I think it's just a, a pocket of, can I use the word deplorables, I would say. That like, I don't think it's strong words. It's widespread in Philly, but we'll see. You know, I'm not going to go there to take my chances, though. Yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take our first break, and then we'll be back with uh, the handsome, the talented. Uh, did I leave anything out? Smart, Dak tall, Draper. humble, humble. I don't know about that last one, but yeah, we'll be back with uh, more with Dak Draper right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag WatchROH Watch Party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the Mile High Magnum, Dak Draper. Dak, I want to go back to uh, your childhood and, and ask you, when did you first become a wrestling fan? Was it as a kid, like a lot of us? Or did you, did you discover it as a young man, or, or was it later? So I remember the moment I was laying on the floor. I was laying on the floor with my dad, and, we're, and he's got wrestling on. And we're eating strawberry popsicles and strawberry flavored popsicles. Of course, not real strawberries turned into popsicles. That's craziness. Um, but we're laying on the floor. We're eating these strawberry flavored popsicles. And I saw the red rooster walk out. And the way that the red rooster, maybe it was Terry Taylor, but he was still kind of having some red rooster mannerisms. But I saw him walk out. And the way that he kind of bobbed his head when he took his steps, I thought that was really cool. And then like I realized he's on his way down to go down and fight somebody and to see a guy that was like to see to see a guy that was like 
about to go get in to get into a physical altercation with someone, try and like bob his head in tempo with his steps was just like the weirdest but most intriguing thing for me where I was like, oh man, I want to kick somebody's ass and I want to and I want to strut out to do it. And uh, from that moment on, I started looking at the way that I walked when I would look at my shadow as a child. I was like a little like three or four year old kid. And I would, I would start to look at my shadow for the way that I walk to make sure like if I was like walking out, like walking down the ramp to wrestle to make sure that like my walk looked cool. So that was the moment that I fell in love. That's probably the moment when I realized like, oh yeah, wrestling, wrestling is my thing. And then as I became a little bit older, became went from being like a toddler to a little kid, I became a giant Razor Ramon fan. Oh man, Razor Ramon was the coolest. Ah, now see, I could see some similarities there between you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. I see that. You know, before he became Razor Ramon, when he was Scott Hall, I don't know if you, if you how closely you followed his career uh, before the Razor Ramon years, but he wrestled in the old AWA as uh, Big Scott Hall, and he kind of was uh, sort of a Magnum PI slash Magnum TA. Uh, I won't say ripoff, but sort of inspired by that. He had the big, thick, mustache oh yeah yeah so uh definitely see you had him wrestling a starship coyote in kansas city oh yeah he was uh yeah the diamond stud in wcw before he uh became razor ramon and scott scott hall was the coolest to me as a kid and it's funny he to me he looked like if my my dad was a big guy but he looked like if my dad was like a like a jacked up dude like that's just kind of they had the same kind of features my dad was six foot seven he was even taller than me and so it was just kind of like I gra- always gravitated towards Razor Ramon. And when they, when they appeared on WCW, we were, man, we were a WWF house. And when they appeared on WCW, my poor little heart was so broken. <laughs> yeah, that was a game changer. I think we all remember that. That was, that was definitely a game changer for the wrestling business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wrestling guy. Tell Tom Draper that we're, we're recording a podcast here and to, and to heal, to be quiet. Hey, hey, dog Draper, keep it down. Mind me. Do your commands. All right. He's good now. He said he's sorry. Okay. All right. Well, we'll forgive Dog Draper. I've seen Dog Draper on social media. He's a cute dog, so we'll forgive he him. Is the, he is the strongest and the smartest dog that lives in my apartment. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would you, why would Dog Draper have anything but the strongest, smartest dog? Yeah, I mean, okay. It's funny, though, that you mentioned Terry Taylor because, man, I've done so many interviews with uh, wrestlers over the years and said, you know, who – who was, what's your earliest memory or your inspiration? And, you know, you hear, like you just said, Scott Hall, you, you hear Hulk Hogan, Rick Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You are the very first person I've ever heard say, you know what? I saw the Red Rooster and I was hooked. So that's, that's pretty unique. I don't you know, think even he, as a little kid, I thought for myself. I don't think even Terry Taylor enjoyed being the Red Rooster. Yeah, I, I feel like I need some sort of a, uh... I feel like I need some sort of like Red Rooster merchandise or something like to be given to me for free from, I need to hit up Terry Taylor about that. Now, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I met a guy on an independent show once. I met a wrestler on an independent show who was like a well-known wrestler nationally. And I've tweeted about that before. I've t- tweeted before about how like guys talk about, you know, the, uh, the Scott, uh, the uh, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels ladder match made me a fan and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I liked how the Red Rooster walked to the ring. And this one wrestler who I met for the first time at an independent show, and he'll remain nameless, he uh, brought me a Red Rooster, an old Red Rooster trading card. And he's like, 
I always laugh when you, uh, he's like, I always laugh when you tweet about the Red Rooster. And so he knew we were going to be on the same show and he brought me that card. And I feel like I've always thought that guy was super cool after that. That's awesome. Now, did you, did you like the Red Rooster so much that you got the Red Rooster haircut when you were a kid? No, it's funny. I feel like after that first time seeing the Red Rooster, I don't know if I never saw the Red Rooster wrestle again or if I just, like, didn't care anymore. <laughs> but it was just that time was, like, what one time is all it took. I was hooked. That's all I needed. Well, the, the crazy thing, because I remember Terry Taylor before he was the Red Rooster. Terry, Terry Taylor was such a good wrestler. Like when he was in uh, the UWF, Mid-South, when he was in uh, the NWA with Crockett. And then they just made him a total joke. And it was almost like his whole – like you could see Terry Taylor perhaps being an NWA world champion back in the day. And then he's walking around as the Red Rooster. It's like, man, you talk about a career killer. But, hey, he inspired a young Dak Draper. So if, if the That's Red what it was all for, I bet. You know, it was, we all serve a purpose. And the Red Rooster's purpose was to get a young Dak Draper into wrestling. The stars aligned. All right. So let me ask you, when you were in college, it was uh, – is it pronounced – Shadron State? Yeah. Okay. Which Great was, first uh, try. Yeah, thank you. I looked it up. It's a Division II wrestling powerhouse in Nebraska is how I, I saw it described. Um, obviously, you had a very successful uh, career as a collegiate wrestler. What did you major in? in college? Certainly, you didn't major in wrestling. What did you major in? So this is really funny. I majored in legal studies. I was – I thought – I always knew that I was going to do something that wasn't normal, but you know, just in case as a backup, I'll become a lawyer. Wow. So uh, my degree was in legal studies. I graduated and I, I graduated and I can proudly say, I don't know very much about the law. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I didn't know that about you. I could picture you as, uh, well, either a defense attorney or even a prosecutor. I could see you handling a case and, you know, when jury selection comes around, I could see you making sure that it was all females, if you could, get an all-female jury. And no matter, let's say you were a defense attorney. Oh, the verdict would go my way every time then. No matter how guilty your client may have been, may have been the, like, the most open and shut case, I have a feeling when you presented your case to this all-female jury, and maybe you winked a little bit, that everyone would, every, every defendant would be acquitted. That's, that's how I kind of... Oh. I can see it now, and I present to you, ladies of the jury. Give them a little wink. Oh, that, that needs to be a TV. We need to make that a TV show on Honor Club. We should. Dra Draper Confidential or something. I don't think I've ever seen a six-foot-five lawyer. You just don't see those. Well, yeah, because they're doing other stuff, like, uh, like being pro wrestlers, being pro athletes, movie right. stars, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so what was your um, – so you graduate from college – What's your, what's your plan at this point? Like, are you thinking that you wanted to get into pro wrestling? Like, what was the so life? It, at that point, I was kind of up in the air. It was between pro wrestling and MMA. Where, so, going to, going to college at Shadron State, I was never around, like, independent wrestling up there. So, I, I had always been a pro wrestling fan. My, my college wrestling coaches used to make fun of me for how much I liked pro wrestling. But like, eventually, what are you going to do? I'm winning matches. I'm winning my matches. Like, like what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about me loving pro wrestling? Right. Um, but uh, so at the national tournament that year, I lost the match that would have made me an All-American by one point in the last second. And I'm just crushed. 
and I'm crushed. I'm sitting in the bleachers. This is in March. I'm sitting in the bleachers. I've got a T-shirt over my head, and I hear a voice. He's like, is, is that Draper? And I was like, that sounds like a really familiar voice. And it was Jerry Briscoe. And I recognized his voice from when, from when I'd been a kid in the Attitude Era. He was one of the Stooges with Pat Patterson. Right. It was Briscoe and Patterson. It was Jerry Briscoe. He was there scouting the tournament, and they were looking for guys to, uh, they were looking for guys to give tryouts to. And uh, so he's like, hey, are you a pro wrestling fan? I was like, oh, I love pro wrestling. He's like, oh, well, we'll fly you down to Tampa for a tryout. So they flew me down to Tampa for a tryout. And I must have, I think I did terrible because, uh, I think I did terrible because the only thing I did well was my promo. Because they kept talking about, they kept talking about how good I, uh, how good I talked, how good I talked, how good I talked. And uh, I, I, so I was shocked when I got there. They gave me a check. We got paid for this. So I got paid before I'd ever set foot in a ring for the first time. And uh, we go through the tryout. They're kind of talking like, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch in the next couple of weeks, but you should probably expect an offer. And so I was really, really pumped about that. I had already had one MMA fight at that point because before pro wrestling was an option, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just become an MMA fighter after this. I'm so glad I didn't. I'm too smart and pretty for MMA. I was going to say, you didn't uh, really get hit in the face like that. I mean, that's... Like I'm tough enough to, but yeah. uh, I feel like I have so many better gifts that are better suited for other other arenas than MMA. Also, MMA has shorter careers. Right. You know, you're if unless you're a top guy, unless you're the like the top couple guys, you're not making the kind of money you want to make. It's uh, and also, I didn't grow up loving MMA. I didn't grow up like, oh yeah, I can't wait to see what Randy Couture does. It's like mm -hmm. no, that's I was I can't wait to see what Razor Ramon does. So. Right. It was uh, once I realized that pro wrestling was an option, I, uh, I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, this, this is the way that I'm going to go. And so I waited around for uh, a couple weeks and I got a call and they said, you know, we're restructuring our, restructuring our program. We're not going to hire you. And they're like, we're not going to hire you right now. So in the meantime, we want you to go get some training. You need to move down. You need to move to Denver because I was still living in Nebraska. You need to move to Denver. Denver, there's this wrestling school. You need to join it and uh, get some training and we'll be in contact. And so this was like on a Tuesday. By Friday, I had packed all my stuff up and left and left and moved 300 miles south back to Denver. First day at this wrestling school. The first day at this wrestling school, we get there and the ring's set up. And I'm like asking the guy who runs it, like, so uh, like how much does it cost? And he's like, oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm like, oh, okay. And we break the ring down. And I'm like, that's really weird. And then he has everybody sit there and he doesn't even introduce me. And he goes, guys, I'm shutting it down. We can't afford to keep it open. So my first day at this wrestling school, the school shut down. It went out of business. That's an ominous and, part. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I like to think that this guy just didn't know how, how, to, how to train somebody like Dak Draper. And so he's like, you know what? I, this guy already has too many tools, too many tools for me. And uh, now I'm, I'm shutting it down. No, but in all, in all seriousness, I was like, God, I just moved. I just moved away from Nebraska. I've been focused on uh i've been focused on pro, i've been putting all my eggs in the pro wrestling basket because i thought i was going to get a pro wrestling job like i i missed the deadline for like trying to get a college coaching job like man this is going to be rough and i saw that there, there was a pat tanaka seminar in uh colorado springs which is an hour south of denver and pat tanaka was uh he was in the orient express in uh, wwf in the early 90s they had great right. matches with the rockers yep. awa tag team champion and so I went to this seminar and Pat like pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, don't go, don't join any of these wrestling schools around here. None of these guys have like, none of these guys like know how to get out of Colorado and how to get onto the national stage. 
just come with me to my shows and I'll train you before the shows. And so it was me and another guy named uh, the superstar Andrew Titus. And we're both really young guys, young athletic guys. And Pat would get us booked and then he would take less pay on these shows for the promoter to allow him the hour before doors open to train us in the ring before the show. And then we would wrestle each other and then the superstar Andrew and I would wrestle each other and Pat would give us little things to do like little, uh, he would give us like little, 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 little marks to hit. Like you need to do this and you need to do this in the match. And Pat would give us these scathing critiques after the matches. And this went on for like seven months. And then I randomly got a call one day that, uh, I randomly got a call one day that uh, the company that I had tried out for before wanted me to come for another tryout. And they did not know that I had been training like all the time with Pat, with a great wrestler like Pat Tanaka. And so I showed up and they pulled me aside halfway through and they're like, yeah, we're going to make you an offer. And uh, that started me on the path to moving around for wrestling, which I think has been the greatest thing for my wrestling career, which has been for a while there. I hadn't lived in a city for over a year for like, a four or five year period. And I thought that would like really helped me to grow as a wrestler and to like, you know, really get that. Uh, I feel like just when it's like just you and what you're the most focused on and like your geography isn't important. Like the people you're around isn't as important. You're just going after opportunities and you're so ambitious. Like, I feel like you really learn a lot about yourself doing that and uh, leaving Colorado to uh, get that opportunity really kickstarted that. That is an amazing story. Like I've heard a lot of people's backgrounds, their journeys and how they got into this business, but that's amazing to, to be discovered by Jerry Briscoe, who, as you mentioned, a lot of fans, younger fans may know him during the attitude era as one of the stooges, but Jerry Briscoe, great amateur wrestler, great professional wrestler. He was a talent scout for many years for WWE. He discovered Brock Lesnar. He discovered Kurt Angle. Back in the 70s, he claims that he also discovered a bass player in a band in some club in Tampa named Terry Balea that he said... Yeah, must have been seven feet tall. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, man, you should try pro wrestling. So, discovered Hulk Hogan. So, that's a pretty good track record right there for um, having a, a good eye for talent. And I could see now, too, like, again, I, I said we weren't going to mention Brian Johnson anymore, but I have to. Like, I see Brian... It's no wonder that he's angry at you, right? Because like he toiled for, I think he said 14 years on the independent circuit, you know, wrestling for little to no money and just waiting for this break. You literally are right. Still are still in college approached by Jerry Briscoe, get a paycheck. The very first time you step into a ring, never really paid dues on the independent circuit, had a pro like Pat Tanaka training you. I mean, this is amazing. You yeah, are, but I, I think part of that too was Brian Johnson did guys like Brian Johnson and guys like that. They do all this toiling for little to no money. Getting that check before that tryout started formed a synapse in my brain where I realized that I need to know my worth. And so when you start out in the green, when you start out where you've already made money before you ever set foot in a ring, it's made it where like you say, Brian Johnson, he's toiled making little to no money for 12 years. Yeah, and he's been in the same area for 12 years. The reason that I moved sometimes, the reason that I would live somewhere for six months and be like, oh, I got to get the hell out of here, is if the money, was, if the money wasn't right, I was going to go somewhere else. Or if I didn't feel like I was getting what I was worth, whether it was respect, money, or just opportunities, 
I would go somewhere else. I would know my worth and I wasn't going to stick around to be, to get the scraps. Like, and I think that's such a valuable lesson. I tell, I tell young wrestlers that all the time. I say that like, I'm not a young wrestler, but I tell even younger wrestlers and less experienced wrestlers. I tell them all the time. I'm like the biggest, the most important thing for me was just to move. Yeah. That's good. Like, you just keep moving. Yeah. Somebody, I, I can't remember who it was uh, said to me recently that I think it was Tony Deppen is that once you realize, I think it was a, one of his trainers told him, is once you realize that you're the best guy wherever you are, it's time to move on. Exactly. Exactly. You, once you're the best guy in the room, you got to find a new room. Right. Because how are you going to get better unless you work with people who are better than you? I mean, that's an old cliche, but certainly I, I believe there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of truth to that in wrestling and you know, basically any sport, probably just about any, um, any profession is like, you, certainly you want to learn from people who know more than you and, and compete against people who may be more experienced or at that point, uh, more accomplished than you. So that, that certainly makes, uh, makes sense. You, you mentioned working with Pat Tanaka at like before shows. So did you never actually have a match when you were training under Pat, like as far as a match in front of a crowd? Oh yeah, I did. Um, oh, so did. That uh, the other guy that we trained with, his name was Andrew, and he was like also really young. He was like around my age. Um, we uh, so Pat would train us before the shows, and then he would get us booked on the show in like right, okay. you know like the first or second match, and we would wrestle each other. And so he would tell the promoter like, "I know that I know these two will have a good match." He's like, "They wrestle each other all the time. I know these two will have a good match." And then he would give a, he would give us a certain thing, certain parameters for the match like you need to do this and you need to do this but don't you dare do this and so like we'd come back and if we did what he told us and we did it the way that he wanted then it was good but for the most part because pat was so good and he's seen so much good wrestling he all everything probably looked especially you know kids that are less than six months into wrestling it's like everything was just like we'd come back and you would have thought that we were just like just uh committing blasphemies to pro wrestling in the ring sometimes when we came back. It was always, we started every workout with 500 squats. So it'd be 500 body squats. And this is before we'd get in the ring. So like guys would be going over their matches and stuff and uh, we'd be doing our squats on the outside. And these guys on these, on these independent shows, these guys, why are these guys doing so many squats and Pat's yelling at us if we slow down and, uh, and then Pat would kick them out of the ring. We'd get in the ring and uh, we'd be training. And this is hard training. Like this is like, like you, like you want to throw up, try, like this was harder. I'm not going to say it was harder than college wrestling because there's nothing that's been cardiovascular wise more hard on me than college wrestling. But this was a very close number two. And to me, pro wrestling has pro wrestling. While it's not physically like it's not on your lungs, cardiovascular wise, as hard as amateur wrestling to me, it's harder to be great at, you know, it's harder to be really, really good at because in uh in amateur wrestling there's just so much less to worry about there's only so many angles you can attack from there's only so many shots that you can do so many moves that so many moves you can legally do in amateur wrestling and in pro wrestling that's opened up so much more and so it's harder to be good at and uh so i think my amateur wrestling was a great preparation for that but yeah i would wrestle i wrestled, probably wrestled the same guy uh before uh going down to florida i probably wrestled the same guy like i don't know Maybe like 20 times. I probably had 20 matches or so. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. You did say that you wrestled. Sorry, that was a really long tangent there. I just love talking about myself. Hey, it's a podcast, brother. We got all the time. (laughs) No time limits here. No 15-minute time limits like in a pure rules match. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, you did mention it because I, I I thought I read somewhere that like your very first like official match was actually at an NXT house show. But so that that's not accurate. You did actually have these these matches with uh, with the same opponent on the yeah, on just the this, yeah just the shows that I was on. They were in Colorado. It's like Colorado is an island. Like it's so geographically isolated, and there especially then there weren't many guys that there weren't many well-known wrestlers that that came out there and so pretty much all a lot of the matches and stuff that happened out there nobody knows are going on because i kind of think i'm not trying to bash the awa denver was an awa territory they're based out of minneapolis so they're coming to denver very infrequently so i think a place like denver doesn't have the same uh, pro wrestling like pro wrestling history and pro wrestling tradition as sure. when you go to like North Carolina or Florida, you know, you go to Tampa and it's like, everybody's talking about the Malenkos and they're talking about everybody wanted to work for the Tampa territory. And it's not like that in Denver. Denver was, Denver was just a city that the AWA guys wrestled in sometimes. Yeah. Cause, cause I, so, you talk about these matches like kind of happening on an Island. Cause I looked up, you know, again, in, in preparation for this interview, I looked up uh, on one of the databases of, you know, like everyone's matches. And literally the first thing that comes up for you is, an NXT match. Like there's no record of these other matches that you're talking about. Well, that was, that's funny because I also got really pissed off one year. So right after I uh, moved away from Florida, I moved back to Colorado for a little while and I was working for a company called Rocky mountain pro that ran, they ran multiple, they they would run two shows every week, sometimes more. And so with working for Rocky mountain pro and then wrestling for other independents kind of around the country, I, uh, I wrestled like, it was something like 130 matches that year. It was so many matches. And there were like, and it looked like online on like those databases, it looked like I had wrestled 12 times. Right. And I just thought it was so funny. Like, it looks like I'm a guy that wrestles once a month when really it's like, I was, re- I wrestled almost every other day. Wow. Well, I guess I can't trust those databases anymore as being accurate. Not that I, you know, I, the thing is, I should have saw, I should have seen that and moved sooner because why do something if, uh, if everybody isn't seeing it? Right, right. Well, let me ask you, though, about your training, because you mentioned, um, obviously, you're physically gifted. You had the amateur wrestling background. You already said you were natural on the mic. Promos came easy to you. You had charisma, the it factor. Was the, and I'm getting, what I'm getting to is you mentioned Pat, would, Pat Tanaka would really give you these critiques and break down the matches and you know, make it sound like you didn't know what you were talking about. What was the psychology aspect? Was that the hardest part? Because I guess that just takes years of, of being in the ring and, and learning and, and picking it up. I mean, you can't just, you don't walk into the ring the first time and understand psychology. Yeah, I think uh, psychology was one of the hardest parts. Um, there's just so much you have to unlearn from amateur wrestling. There's things that you definitely need to keep, but you need to know when to keep them. Where I, I definitely was... Uh, my big problem was either I would completely abandon everything from amateur wrestling or just comp- or I'm out there and I am Dak Draper, amateur wrestling extraordinaire. And I couldn't find that balance. And I think it was very frustrating for Pat that like sometimes he's and like right when he would feel like he was breaking through, I'd probably go the other way a little bit or go or go back the other way or go too far the other way. And uh, it's, I think for me, it's, wrestling is also so much more subjective where in an amateur wrestling match, as long as I win, I could win by one point. I could win by 15 points. As long as I know who win, who won or lost the match. And like, sometimes you can blame stuff on the ref and stuff, 
but it's just so much more subjective where I'd come back and I won the match and I come back and Pat's like, that was the worst thing that I have ever seen. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Like it was for me, I think the biggest thing was just not knowing when you've been on top for so long. And then all of a sudden you're a novice at something again. Cause I started playing sports when I was a little kid. And so I couldn't remember when I had been new at something, you know, when I had been, when I had been, when I had to humble myself and ask people for advice and stuff like that. And, or when I just was out there and just didn't know that I was doing a good job. Like I had never gone through that. And so all of a sudden you're, you know, in your early twenties and you're going through that, you're, it's kind of an identity crisis, but uh, it was, I think something I really benefited from with that was how hard the training was with Pat, which kind of, uh, I don't know. When you, I think when you get frustrated, sometimes you, a workout is like therapy and so if you're frustrated about something and then Pat's like, well, you did this wrong. So you got to do 500 squats. It kind of helps you like, okay, that's all washed away now. Cause I did 500. My legs, my legs hurt too much to, uh, to care about Pat yelling at me about a match that I thought was good. That was bad. <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to take our second break and then we'll be back with more with mile high Magnum Dak Draper right after this. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and YouTube.com slash Ring of Honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the Mile High Magnum, Dak Draper. Uh, before we went to break, Dak, we talked some about uh, your tryout with, uh, I guess it was, was it FCW, the second tryout, or was it NXT? It was, it was uh, the second tryout was the very tail end of FCW. So it was the week of the tryout they had, uh, the week of the tryout they had, um, at the end of it was the final FCW TV taping at the Tampa arena. Okay. So I'm just going to ask you, what was that? Um, what was your experience like in NXT? Well, first of all, when you had your tryout, how many people were trying oh, out at that time? Okay. How many people that we would know uh, that were at the tryout? So this tryout, which was, I think it was seven or eight months later than my previous, than my first tryout, was completely different. So the first tryout, Tom Pritchard was still the, uh, Tom Pritchard was the head coach at FCW. And it was like me and three other amateur wrestlers. And we were just like in FCW for a week. Like, so like we cut our promos on promo day. What, like after all the other wrestlers had gone and like, they would just kind of pull us in at the end of training. They'd have like a three hour training and they would just kind of pull us in for like the last like 30 minutes and like try and teach us some stuff and see how well we, we learned. And so I was kind of expecting the same thing. And I had only met Bill DeMott at the, on the last day. He saw me looking at my phone and yelled at me for looking at my phone. And I was like, well, Bill DeMott really hates me. So then for the second tryout, I'm like, okay, it's going to be the same thing. We land. I open my phone and I see that Dr. Tom has been uh, released from his contract as FCW head trainer. And Bill DeMott is the new head trainer. And I was like, great, this guy hates me. But I was so I was so young then. I didn't realize I didn't realize he wasn't even going to know who I was anyway. He wasn't going to remember who I was. I was just a faceless kid that was there for a tryout before. Um, but I got there, and this was like the boot camp style, how they are now, where it's the boot camp style tryout, rapid fire drills. Everybody has a number and stuff. And 
I, I would, I think I would have done great regardless, but that's like just coming from like, you know, those uh, like football combines and just that kind of, it was definitely a more athletic field than the first one was. And so that's really where I shine. And uh, I remember getting there and seeing El Generico, Jimmy Jacobs. Um, these are people, these are people that I recognized at the time. There are people that were in the tryout that are bigger stars now that are, are bigger stars now than they were there then, of course. But I like they were also just people in the tryout. But seeing Generico, uh, Sarah Del Rey, Jimmy Jacobs, Matt Taven, um, there are probably others that I'm forgetting too. But those are the four that really stood out to me. Where I'm like, I've seen these people. I've seen these people. I I don't think I'd seen Taven on Ring of Honor, but I had known that he was involved. You know, I'd known that he was like around and that he had been doing some dark matches. And I was like, oh, there's no way that I'm going to get signed. Like, this is, I'm going to look like a fool here. And they just, they'd split it up by, uh, they'd split it up by uh, experience. And so I was, so obviously I was in the lower experience group. So that's how, I, so I ended up getting signed. But uh, that was a very, very big, uh, kind of a scary thing for me. I was just like, it, made, it definitely made my jaw drop when I walk in and I see Jimmy Jacobs standing there. I was like, oh, this is not going to be like the same tryout before. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, with, those, with those names you mentioned, guys with who had been to the top already in Ring of Honor, you know, and oh, yeah. doing this for years, and yeah, you're walking in, you know, green. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm, walking, I'm walking in, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking in, and like the week before, I had a match where I had to do 500 squats because I wasn't supposed to touch the ropes, and I did, you know? <laughs> like, it's like these are two people on very different ends of their wrestling journeys. Right. Well, it's kind of cool, though, that they divided it up the way they did. Um, with obviously guys who were more polished and had all this experience against guys like yourself, who clearly they saw you as as something raw, but definitely mm-hmm. something that could uh, that had a lot of potential. Someone who had a lot of potential. Uh, so, what was you? You spent two years in WWE developmental. It was 2012 to 2014. What was your experience like there? I learned so much about being a pro wrestler. It was a great place to learn to learn wrestling, to be a wrestling student. And uh, I feel like I, like, I think it was, I learned great fundamentals. I got uh, some, I got to wrestle some of the best wrestlers in the world. I got to become friends with some of the best wrestlers in the world where it's, it's funny now, like the Royal Rumble was last night. And there's so many people that like, I see that are like my friends, former roommates, uh, just like, and I think that's awesome. It kind of hurts your feelings a little bit when you see stuff like that, just because your journey goes a little bit differently. After two years, my journey there ended. But I also think that uh, I was getting really antsy with when you're in that developmental system and it's a wrestling training system, you're viewed as a wrestling trainee sometimes instead of being a wrestler. And I was really, really antsy and almost stir crazy with being a wrestling trainee. I wanted to wrestle. I really, a guy I really gravitated towards in a developmental and I look, I look up to him as kind of like a big brother in wrestling is Chris Hero. He, uh, I think he saw early on that I, like, I wasn't just an amateur wrestler who got signed and like was there because it beat working at, you know, it beat working as a bouncer at a club or something. He saw that I was there because like I was a pro wrestling fan that had been an amateur wrestler. Right. And so Chris Hero really helped me with like, he turned me on to so much independent wrestling. Like I didn't know that independent wrestling was a thing until the movie The Wrestler came out. Like, that's the first time where I saw, like, oh, wow, like, these independent shows, these 
these independent shows and then Ring of Honor's in, in the movie The Wrestler. And I was like, that's how I started looking up Ring of Honor clips on YouTube. Like, uh, it's all, uh, it just, Chris Hero really helped open up like a whole new way of thinking and like seeing how these shows that happen outside, outside of that WWE umbrella were, uh, how much fun, how much fun guys had on them and how much better guys got, like being able to go out and create on their own because you're very much, the training wheels are very much on. Like you can have a bad, you'll, you'll have bad matches when you're under that big umbrella, but it, uh, but it'll never be that bad because you're always very produced and stuff. And I would always hear like Hero and uh, Sami Zayn and these guys would tell stories about like, oh yeah, I was in this match and the ring broke. And so we had to, so we had to really use our heads to scramble and think about what we were going to do. And I really like long for those kind of stories, you know, for those kind of experiences. And so when, uh, when I left in uh, 2014, I was really excited. Like I wasn't sad at all. I was really excited to like, finally go out and create on my own to not just be a part of NXT to be my own wrestler and to go out and, uh, and do that. And I don't think that would have happened if I hadn't, uh, start, if I hadn't had that friendship with Chris Hero, he's really guided me a lot along the way. So that's what I was going to ask you. You just mentioned that you weren't that discouraged is, is when you get released in 2014, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot on here, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but also truthfully, like you've had so much success in every athletic endeavor that you've ever done uh, from the time you were a young kid, like we said, all the way up through high school and college. Was it, was it tough though, even though you, you saw it as an opportunity to go and, and, you know, expand and create on your own, as you said, was it tough though for, to be told like, uh, as of right now, you're not good enough. Like we're letting you go. Um, you're being cut. I don't, I'm guessing you've never been cut from anything. I had never, no, I had never been cut before. Um, it was, uh, the thing, the way I still remember the way that the meeting went, it was, uh, so we had had a live special the night before, cause we had started doing live specials. I think it was like the third, maybe the second or third live special on the network. Um, I think they were called takeover. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe there was, I think it was the next one, whatever the next name was, I forget what it was, but, uh, that night they had said we weren't supposed to we had a show the next day in uh, florida somewhere that we were going to drive to and they said and we weren't supposed to have training and they announced on the way out we're actually going to have training tomorrow we're going to have a half day it's like that's not a half day that just means we have to wake up extra early come into training and then we have to haul ass to drive to the show to get there in time so we don't get fined like that's just more of a pain that's not a half day at all and so i was like already feeling pretty beaten down and i get there and uh i get to the performance center and I was with Juice Robinson and we're walking in and the guy who runs the, who ran the performance center at the time was like, uh, he was like, Hey, uh, Hey, just go by uh swing by my office real quick before training. And Juice was just like, Oh, cause he knew that meant I was getting fired yeah. and that I was getting released. And, um, and I was, it was weird because it's something you always fear. And then when it finally happens, you realize like, Oh, I'm still alive. And so like when he said that, like, Hey, just swing by my office before training. I was like, Oh, well, my worst fear, my worst, what I thought was one of my worst fears uh, just came true and everything's fine. I actually, this is going to sound bad. And just for the scenario, the situation I was in where I really felt like I was stagnant and spinning my wheels, I almost felt like a kid that had gotten uh, let out on summer vacation Mm -hmm. where it was like, you could breathe again because I'd spent two years where it's like, you do something good and that's awesome. But they're always going to remind you like, Hey, you're doing a great job. But if you're not doing a great job, we can fire you. Like that was just kind of always looming over you 
Yeah. And so when it finally happened and you realize you didn't have to worry about it, it wasn't as a, uh, I don't know. It was like, I could kind of exhale for the first time in two years, but uh, I went into the office and I was wearing a pink fanny pack. And uh, the guy just told me, he's like, Hey, this is uh you didn't do, you didn't do anything wrong. Just right now isn't the time. And he asked if I had any questions on when I return. And my main question was, have you ever fired anyone in a pink fanny pack before? <laughs> And, uh, which is, I think that just kind of shows like at that point where I was at, I think I knew that where I wanted to be in wrestling, wasn't going to happen if I just stayed in NXT at that time. Right. Like I knew that like I was viewed and I was in the mode of being a wrestling trainee. And I kind of felt like I was always going to be viewed as, you know, he's, he's, he's in training still, he's in training still, he's in training still. And I felt like the only way that I was ever going to break that, would be to leave and would be to leave. And so it's kind of, kind of like I talked about with moving before. Like if you don't, if you don't like where you're at, like sometimes you need to move and that forced me to move and grow as a person. So yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sad. I didn't have any ill will towards WWE at all. It, uh, it just, it, I learned a lot. It happened the way it happened. I'm so glad I got to learn like the fundamentals I got to learn while I was there. And I'm even more thankful that I got to go out and, create on my own and think on my own as a wrestler and as a businessman and travel around and have these experiences that before I had only heard guys like guys like hero tell me these stories. These were all stories before. And then they got to become that got to become my life. And uh, so I was like really, really thankful for that. And I still am. Right. So you start working um, the Indies in Colorado and you mentioned you have a chance to kind of go out on your own now, uh, reinvent yourself um, I came across a guy working the Indies named Sammy Six Guns Jr. Oh man, he's he's pretty good. What can you tell me about Sammy Six Guns Jr. and who is Sammy Six Guns Senior? Well, Sammy Six Guns Jr. is a uh, Sammy Six Guns Jr. was a uh, second generation wrestler <laughs> that he kind of wrestled around the. Uh, he was based out of Colorado and he wrestled around Colorado and the uh, Southwest. I believe he, he was the uh, Future Stars of Wrestling tag team champion at FSW in Vegas. And uh, Sammy, Sammy's dad was a legendary Colorado wrestler and uh, Sammy Six Guns Sr. And Sammy really just wanted to remind people that if things didn't go his way, that, uh, that you're going to piss his dad off. You're going to piss off this rest, Colorado wrestling royalty, royalty of the I-25 corridor. And... Uh, and uh, it was definitely me kind of not being happy with not being happy with how Colorado wrestling was. And so it started out as like a joke dig on uh, as a joke dig on like, oh, yeah, well, you don't know what kind of legend my dad was because we've talked about how Colorado wrestling was like my dad never wrestled. <laughs> but it, it started out as like a joke dig and people thought it was funny. There was a promotion in Denver called Lucha Libre and Laughs. And so we dressed up this old man as Sammy Six Guns Sr. We put like a mullet wig on him and he's like five feet tall. <laughs> and we joked that he was six, seven, but then he got the back surgery and he's like five foot one. <laughs> and so, well, after he got that damn back surgery, he broke his back for all you people all these years. And you're not even going to make fun of him for being short now. Please but tell me there to- are clips of Sammy Six Guns Sr. Sammy Six Guns. Oh man, he was a treasure. He, he, uh, Sometimes he would manage me once we did a match where uh, Sammy Six Guns Se- Sammy Six Guns Senior was returning to the ring, and there happened to be a time machine next to the ring, which was a refrigerator box that had the uh, 
a refrigerator box that had the front cut off of it. And there was just like a garbage bag over it, like a curtain. And it said time machine and Sammy six guns out there. And his big finisher was the shoulder tackle and Sammy six guns got bumped out of the ring. He rolls out of the ring and stumbles into the time machine and young Sammy six guns senior came out. Who was me and wrestled the whole match. And at the very end, young Sammy six guns get thrown out. Old Sammy six guns comes back in from the time machine to wit to cover for the win. It's some of the most fun that I've ever had in wrestling. It was also so silly, but it was like the perfect thing. For a while, I talked with a fake Southern accent in promos. It was the, uh, it was like, it was silly, but it was like the perfect thing for me where I had just been in such a high pressure environment where it was just, everything was like, you know, you, you're always being re- reminded that you could get fired at any moment. And so it was so nice for me just to be able to like have fun in wrestling and almost go too far the other way where it was like stuff was so there was stuff that was just such a joke so much that uh but looking back I'm kind of like god that was like I, I was dressed really stupid there like I was wore a blue suede jacket around and had this blue suede fur jacket I still own it I'm not I can actually probably see it um and it's like looking at it now it's just soaked in like I always wear cocoa butter when I wrestle it's soaked in cocoa butter and it's like that blue suede jacket to me is like, it's something that I would never dream of wearing to the ring now because it, it just looks so silly. But like, it's a symbol to me of like, that was me going from being this boring, like wrestling trainee to thinking on my own and coming up with my own ideas and my own being able, starting to create on my own. So Sammy Six Guns Jr. was, uh, he was quite the competitor. RIP Sammy Six Guns. This is outstanding. Like I, I've never heard, I've never heard about Sammy Six Guns before. That I love the time machine aspect of it. This is. Please tell me if there are clips of this anywhere, or if you can. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll send you some Sammy Six Guns. Some Sammy Six Guns stuff. I got a great idea. You know the unauthorized show that we do every year, which is like we kind of just go off the rails. Mm-hmm. We got a book, either Sammy Six Guns Junior or Senior. Or if it's possible, both of them to appear. How about, all a, six, how about a six man tag? The, uh, the six guns family with Pat Tanaka. There you go. <laughs> that has to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to some people in the office and see if we can, uh, you know, find those guys. I think they've kind of been in hiding in recent years. And... Yeah. We might have to track them down. I, I, I think they might be in the mountains somewhere. <laughs> yeah. We got to track those guys down. And, man, this is, this is money. I'm telling you, this is money. I, I think I, I'm not going to argue with you because I think you're right. <laughs> this is something we can definitely agree on. Sammy Six, well, Sammy Six Guns Jr. did get me to my next wrestling job, which was uh, this company called the NWL, which was this startup wrestling company where this guy, this guy had a lot of money and he wanted to build his own wrestling league. To uh, he, like his goal was to get it on national television and stuff, but uh, it was based out of Kansas City and he. And the first one of the first guys he hired, the most important hiring was Sammy Six Guns Jr. And they changed everybody's names. And uh, and that's probably that's that place is where I learned the most. I became like the lo- a local celebrity in Kansas City where I was on used car commercials. I was on a lot of different commercials. I was on I was on uh, I was on like Casey Live in the morning. Like I was on this like morning show on the uh, on the news once a week. I uh it was really, really cool. People would see me. I would always say, shame on you if you go anywhere else about this car dealership, this used car dealership that I was in all their commercials for. Like, I was in a commercial body slamming bad credit. And, uh, 
they uh, and people used to stop me on the street all the time. They'd be like, "Hey, shame on you if you go anywhere else." Oh, like, that's outstanding. Every time I would go anywhere, everybody knew that I was Dak Draper, and it was really cool. But eventually, it's like, who wants to be? Once you're once you're the man in Kansas City, it's like, where? Okay, what's next? Right. And so that led me to move to uh to Maryland, and I originally moved to Maryland because I wanted to be close to Ring of Honor. I still thought the Ring of Honor Dojo was in Philly, and I had already decided to move to Baltimore because of where it's located, uh, independent, like with independence in general, I want to be go- going down to the South sometimes and stuff. And it just seemed like a good uh, location. And after I decided to move to Baltimore, I saw that the ring of honor dojo was moving to Baltimore. I'm like, okay, cool. I can go, uh, I could probably go train there and try and get some, uh, train there and just make some contacts to help, to help with my bookings and everything. And I didn't realize what a, what an operation the new dojo was. And I got, and the rest is history, you know, got a, got a spot in the top prospect tournament and made the most of it and got to where I am now. Dude, you do lead in some aspects, a charmed life. Like you moved to Baltimore thinking the ROH dojo is still in, uh, I think it was in Bristol, PA. Um, Mm -hmm. You just happened to move to Baltimore where the ROH dojo has located, has relocated, I should say. Um, And there's a lot of serendipitous moments in, in your career, just, from Jerry Briscoe finding you uh, in college and then making the move to where the, uh, you know, in the backyard, basically the ROH dojo that, you know, obviously you've made the most of those opportunities, but there's been a I lot, the, you know, timing is everything. And, and certainly timing has been great for you. Well, I think the big thing too, is I like to live for the story. I love to tell stories. I get that from my dad. My dad was, uh, he was, I say he wasn't a wrestler. If he was, he would have been a great promo because he was a larger than life character where everything was a story. And it was always, when I was a kid, it was just like, if, if there was like a party or something, everyone's around my dad cackling while he tells a story. And I, def, I definitely like got that from him where I, I live for the story, these crazy scenarios and stuff. So I think there are a lot of times where people say no to things uh, where, cause there were a lot of guys that, that Jerry Briscoe offered tryouts to that didn't go to the tryouts. And I feel like what a lot of times people say no to things like that, the uh, thing in Kansas city where this guy's starting up his own business, his own wrestling company. And he wants people to move out there. Like a lot of people said no. And I was like, well, let, let's try it. Let's, let's see what happens. I think a lot of these opportunities come from, you have to be adventurous and you have to really go after things. There's so many people, I call them hard work guys where they talk about how hard they work. It's always about, oh, I've worked so hard for this. I've worked so hard for this. And I think that's a cop-out a lot of times because that's admitting that like, oh, well, I'm probably not going to achieve my dreams, but at least I worked hard. Like, I've never been one of those hard work guys where I work really hard, but I want you to know that I work hard by what you see in the ring, by, uh, by, like what, by the package that I bring to the ring versus like me having to post on social media that I work hard. And uh, I think it's one of those things where – Truly, you have to like sacrifice and position yourself for success and go after these. A lot of times, a lot of times, great things come from adventure. And so, like, I think my wrestling career has been an adventure going after all these opportunities. And so far, it's paying off, and I'm not going to stop chasing the adventure anytime soon. When you were in NWL, and I looked it up, it was National Wrestling League, not wrestling. Oh, God. It was the yeah. National Wrestling <laughs> in Kansas city, but Hey, you did have local TV there. Like yep. you said, it had, there was money behind it and uh, you became a local celebrity. It's really where Dak Draper was, was kind of born. 
Um, yep. I, I saw that you did what you called the Magnum Minute. You did these segments um, on YouTube. Uh, is there any chance the Magnum Minute might come back to Ring of Honor? I would love to bring the Magnum Minute back. The thing that's really stopped the Magnum Minute was, well, when I signed with uh, Ring of Honor in the in the dojo system, I was just so busy with our, our training with the uh, dojo, I didn't have time to make the Magnum Minute anymore. And now that it's – now that we're uh, – I was getting back to the point where I probably had enough time to uh, start making the Magnum Minute again. And then COVID happened and I was, uh, COVID happened. And I feel like it was just so hard to find episodes to make, like to find content around my apartment to make. But in a perfect world, I would love to bring the Magnum Minute back because actually today is like, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but I saw it pop up on my, uh, I saw it pop up on social media today. It was, it's the anniversary of the first episode of the Magnum Minute, which was just me saying, hey, you should buy the new Dak Draper t-shirt. It was the first Dak Draper t-shirt that ever existed. It was me saying, you should buy the, you should buy the new Dak Draper t-shirt. And, uh, and uh, it grew from there where the, the following year, the one year anniversary show had like music in it. We went out to, an, to someone, we went out to an RV to like interview someone. We interviewed somebody on like someone mobily. It was like, it had changed so much to, uh, from one year and it helped me so much. It taught me so much about who I was, how I wanted to communicate. And uh, I thought they were pretty damn funny too. Like sometimes when I'm just really like, really in my Dak Draper mode where I only want to see Dak Draper on my TV. I'll just watch the Magnum minute episodes in order. And they, from episode one all the way to, I think I got to like 75. Wow. And if you're someone that loves, and that was every week, every week on Wednesday, I'd put out a new Magnum minute for 75 weeks straight. And uh, if you're someone that thinks that if like you're the kind of, per if I'm your brand of humor, it's really, really funny to watch because they're little one minute clips. They started to get longer as I started to get more artistic with them. And then I started to shorten them up again because they just got too convoluted. But man, I, as someone who grew up as an athlete, I had never done any kind of video editing before directing or anything like that. And it was so damn fun. Just talking about it makes me want to go make an episode of it right now. Well, I mean, you are funny. I will give you that. You definitely have, um, I think it comes across on social media. You kind of have a quirky, personality like we've seen some things in ROH week by week like uh, for instance you love wearing shorts uh, and we're talking short shorts here and crop tops not just you know in the summer but you appreciate like you like to wear them in like a snowstorm well That's yeah my legs are still big in the cold weather too yeah <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't want to deprive people of seeing these nice quads <laughs> So when people talk about, hey, I want to bring sexy back, you want to bring back 80s, 1980s cheesy sexy. You want to bring that back. So I think a big part of it is I had older cousins when I was a kid. Like, you you know, you're like five years old. I had like cousins that were seniors in high school. And when I was a little kid, this is what, like mid 90s. They like, that's how that's how like my cousins that were like star athletes, like that's how they dressed. And so I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to be like. like. That's how you dress when you're cool. And so I just, I feel like even when I was a little kid, I was probably rocking little short shorts and half shirts. And it's just, the style hasn't evolved. I figured my style out early on. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. All right, you know what I think of though, when I, I want to get back, I, I just can't get this you in the shorts and the snow, Adam. I, I picture that look being inspired by Rocky three. You know what I'm talking about? Rocky oh, yeah. and Apollo running on the beat. Like I could picture you doing that. 
Uh, you wouldn't see me running, probably. I'm not. I'm not a big. Uh, I'm not a distance runner. My senior year in college, uh, the last dist- I was a small heavyweight, and so I never. So I didn't have to cut weight my last two years, and distance running is for cutting weight. And I would still have to distance run with the whole team. And when you're weighing 240 pounds, that beats up your ankles and your knees a lot just to just trudge and trudge and trudge. So I swore to my coach, I said, I will never run over a mile ever again after our last running workout right before nationals. And I've kept that promise. But you'd see me, you'd see me do it. You'll see me, you'd see me knocking out some burpees on the beach, swinging a kettlebell around on the beach. Oh yeah. You'd see that. All right. Well, one more question I have to ask you about your uh, indie wrestling days is, uh, is, again, I looked up on this database, which uh, now that I learned, apparently doesn't have a lot of your, your work on there. But one thing that jumped out at me was that you were involved in a tag team match against Haku and the Barbarian. Oh, yes. And I have to ask you what that was like. We hear these oh, legendary great. stories, obviously, of Haku like one of the most legendary tough guys uh, in the wrestling business. Barbarian, I'm sure, is, uh, you know, not a guy you'd necessarily want to cross either. So what was that? What was that like? Oh, they're the best. Oh, it was great. They, uh, so <laughs> I was really nervous to meet him. And this is when, and this was for NWL. And NWL had the, uh, their, their training center. And it was like, it was like a little, it was, it was like a smaller version of the ring of honor dojo now where it was, it's like a little performance center. Like they had like a weight room and stuff and weight room, a couple rings, locker rooms. So Haku and barbarian, they get in the day before they show up and we're all really excited to meet them. First thing barbarian does our dumbbells went up to hundreds, gets sits down on the incline bench and just probably benches the hundred, the hundred pound dumbbells like 20 times cold, no warm up. And I'm just like, oh, okay, wow, he's very strong. And then we kind of talk to him, meet him, and uh, and they're and they're just kind they kind of want to like stretch out, move around a little, get a little workout in. So they got a workout in, and they're like, yeah, let's go to dinner later. Let's get some. Uh, they're like, we want to get some Kansas City barbecue. I'm like, oh yeah, we'd love to get you some. We'd love to get some Kansas City barbecue. And so we're like, I'm like looking up like the best barbecue places in Kansas City because like they don't know that I moved there from Denver six months before. And I don't know where the best barbecue places are. So I'm about to go get barbecue with them. And the guy that went to pick him up texts me. He goes, uh, actually meet us here. Barbarian wants to go to Golden Corral. <laughs> so we went to Golden Corral instead. And they're just, it was so funny because we're sitting there at Golden Corral. These two big guys. And they're just, they're laughing and they're tell, telling stories about Mr. Fuji and like, you know, working for WWF, like working for the old WWF, you know, back uh, when times were different and everybody's kind of looking at us at this restaurant and uh, they were super, super cool, but I was still really worried about the match. And the next day before the match, we're in the, uh, we're in the locker room and Hakugo, he comes up and he goes, Dak, Dak, chop me. And I was like, chop you? He's like, yeah, chop me. In the locker room? And he's like, yeah, now everybody's looking at us. And so I was like, I'm thinking, like, do I just kind of just kind of give him like a soft one or do I really chop him as hard as I can? I decided, you know, this is Haku. You should probably chop him as hard as you can. So I chopped him as hard as I could. And Barbarian like laughed, like, ha, ha, ha. Like Barbarian like cackled about it. And Haku like looks at me and goes, we will chop tonight. (laughs) He chopped me one time in that match. And I swear he chopped my soul. Like I have (laughs) the camera angle is from behind. 
but you can see you can see my back and you can see him throw the chop and you can see it ripple through my back like he hits me on the chest and you can see you can see like my back go like all of a sudden like go the other direction it was insane <laughs> but they were awesome and uh I would lo- like I would love to wrestle them again. They were so. I remember Haku pile drove pile drove me once. He pile drove me, and I didn't even know he was so strong. He picked me up. It was so effortless, and I weighed two hundred and fifty pounds. Right. It was so effortless. I didn't even realize I was upside down until he was like about to sit out because <laughs> it was just like no. I'm, I I didn't even feel like I moved because like I was like it was like picking up a pillow. <laughs> he was uh, they they were a ton of fun. I loved wrestling. They. That was one of those fun matches where, like, they're going to hit you, and they expect you to hit them, and that's wow. what we did. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome time. And I've always – I've never met either one of them uh, personally, but I've always heard basically what you described. Like, they're good guys, um, uh, but, man, you just – you wouldn't want to cross them in a bar fight. That's all. Because, nope. Yeah. As long as they you don't mess – well, they used to travel with they used to travel with Pat Tanaka too, so I kind of had that bond with them since I was trained by Pat. So they told me some good Pat stories. It was, <laughs> it was good. All right. Well, the last question I'm going to ask you before we uh, take our final break and come back with ten questions is I want to circle back to kind of where we started this interview, which is uh, you know you want to poll to be the breakout star of 2021. What are your goals? Do you set goals short term? And everybody's probably got long-term goals, but to you at the beginning of the year, almost like a New Year's resolution, do you sit down and say, okay, in 2021 in Ring of Honor, this is what I want to accomplish? I set goals, uh, I set goals for Ring of Honor, and then I also set goals for myself. And it's funny that you brought up the Magna Minute. I said all my goals are pretty much wrestling career related. Um, it's funny that you brought up the Magna Minute because one of those goals was to bring back the Magna Minute and to have it not come back the way that it started, where I feel like it was very campy when it first started. But uh, so I typically have a goal. I have goals for things. My goals are things that I can control. So for, for example, for 2021, uh, one of my goals is to, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to put it into words, but it's after every match, I want more people to be believers in Dak Draper. I want that constant progress, like no bad, no, no bad outings in 2021 because we have fewer outings. So instead of like being like, Oh, well, I'll make that up the next time. You don't have that anymore. We wrestling matches are so few and far between now that there's more pressure. Um, But uh, goals for ring of honor in general, it is. uh, I feel like, especially if you're the kind of wrestler that I am, my goal this year is to climb as high as I can in the company. And uh, that starts with, uh, with the pure division. The pure division is the most, te- is the most uh, televised division on ring of honor TV, which is why I requested to be uh, moved into the pure division. And uh, my goal is to make myself one of the most prominent players on ring of honor television. And like that, that might seem far fetched right now, but I, uh, I firmly believe that that's a realistic goal. Yeah. I don't do everything I can to go after that. I don't think it's far fetched at all. I think, uh, you know, I agree with the people who voted on that poll that uh, if I'm betting on somebody to have a breakout year, I I think you could, uh, you know, place a a smart bet, place your money on Dak Draper, bet on Dak. I 
think it's... Bet on Dak. And if you oh, don't, then shame on you. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take our final break. And then when we come back, it's going to be 10 questions with Dak Trape. How do I watch ROH TV? Start by visiting ROHWrestling.com and using our zip code lookup tool to find your local listings. We aren't in your area? Don't worry. You can catch us on digital channels such as Stadium and Stir City as well as Fight.tv. ROH TV also airs every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Best on the Planet, our newly launched 24-7 streaming channel, which is available on Stir and Plex. The newest episode of ROH TV is always free on ROHWrestling.com and the Ring of Honor app. Ring of Honor has never been easier to watch. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Mile High Magnum, Dak Draper. Dak, are you ready to play a round of 10 questions? Oh, I am. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? I would like to know more about auto repair. You know, I, I always spent so much time. I always spent so much time playing sports that uh, I never learned about cars, and that is immensely frustrating when uh, your car breaks down. And instead of knowing how to fix it, you have you're just strong enough to push it home. <laughs> I can see where that would be a problem. Yeah. All right, question number two. What's the first concert that you attended? First concert that I attended, it was Kid Rock at the Denver Coliseum. That's and that, good. yeah, that really, uh, man, that, uh, the fun fact about Dak Draper, I'm a huge Kid Rock fan. I don't care what pe- I don't care, I don't care uh, if people think Kid Rock's music isn't good. I am an unapologetic fan of Kid Rock, and I think that's because my first concert was Kid Rock at the Denver Coliseum. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I you know, he's not in my top ten or anything, but I have seen him live. And uh, oh, he puts on a great show. No question about it. I saw Kid Rock back in the day, so nothing wrong with that. All right, question number three. This is a little bit of a deeper question. If you could have a conversation with anyone, living or dead. You know, past or present, who who would it be? Who would you like to sit down and talk to? Um, well, this is uh, oh, this is gonna be kind of a lame answer, but I would say my dad. So my dad passed away in uh, twenty. He passed away. Oh man, it's been almost five years. But I feel like when he passed away, I had just become Sammy Six Guns. He had only kind of seen me where I was in the trainee phase at uh, in NXT. He always. He always saw me losing in wrestling. He always saw me, or not losing, but you know where I was struggling. It always, it was always a struggle. And knowing me, knowing how successful I was in other sports, it was very uncharacteristic. And I think he knew that I was that I was pretty frustrated. And he was a he was great. He was there to support me. He was such a great supporter. And uh, and he passed away. I feel like before a lot of things that he would have been so happy to see happen. I would just want to tell him, like, just to tell him about like. Hey, I won the Ring of Honor Top Prospect Tournament. I was the guy. I was the man in Kansas City. I was. Uh, I'm. I'm a rapidly rising star on on the Ring of Honor roster. Uh, I would love to tell him all that stuff because, like, he never got to see that. And I, the thing is, I think he would be. 
he would have chosen to be there to support me versus to see me in all these good times now, you know, if he had his choice, because that's when I needed him most, when I needed the support. But man, I really, really wish that I could just like, you know, sit down, sit down with him for a, for a 12 ounce ribeye and, uh, and just talk and tell him about everything good that's going on now. Yeah, that's great. Like, I don't think that's a lame answer at all. I think that, that's actually a great answer. Uh, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Question number four. Obviously, Dak, you are in great shape, but we all need our cheat days. What's your favorite cheat food? Ramen. Hmm. I'll get, I'll get ramen like spicy ramen with duck in it, and like they'll have like the hard-boiled egg and like all the spices. I'd say ramen. Also, I'm a huge barbecue guy. There's this barbecue place that opened across the street from my apartment, and I am. Uh, and I love, I'll get ribs and I'll get this brisket sandwich. In Kansas City, they call them burnt ends. They just call it, uh, they call it like, I don't know, it's like, it's the same thing where it's like all the burnt ends from the brisket and they've got it marinated and uh, got marinated in barbecue sauce. But big barbecue guy, big uh, ramen guy. Okay. I don't know. That, I mean, is ramen really a cheat food? I don't know. That that's That doesn't seem like a, like most people would say like, you know, a, a chocolate cake or, you know. The thing is, well, even then, like I'll go with uh, when it's when it's sweets. I usually like to go with like a red velvet cake or ice cream or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I always go very high quality with my cheat meals because, like, it drives me crazy when someone's like, "Today's my cheat day. I ate Taco Bell." It's like, why would you do that? Why would you burn a cheat day on like fast food? Like, if it's my cheat day, I'm like. I'm getting the highest quality foods that are bad for me. Yeah, that, <laughs> uh, is, that is great advice. Yeah, I'm going all the way. I'm not eating a Little Caesars pizza. I'm, you know, I'm going. I'm going to the Italian restaurant, and I'm, yeah, I'm making the most of it. Yeah, if you're gonna cheat, make it count. No question. Be yeah, because then the thing is that I feel like that motivates me to go longer until my next cheat day. Yep. Sound advice. You know, sound advice from the Mile High Magnum. That's right. Question number five. We already know that you're great at a lot of things, but do you have any hidden talents? Just something you're good at that, that we don't know. Keep in mind, Dak, this is a family show. <laughs> well, I started playing the guitar when I was seven years old, and I, uh, I haven't played the guitar in a while, but I feel like I'm a surprisingly good guitar player. Like uh, being an athlete and stuff, once in high school, I busted it out at the talent show. I played, I forget what song, I think I played like a Neil Diamond song and just, oh, all the girls melted. Cause like this star athlete, oh, he can also play the guitar. Yeah, so I can play the guitar. Also, I'm really good at being from Colorado. There's lots of uh, lakes and uh, mountain streams. I'm a very good fisherman. Fisherman, okay, all right. Is that, is it the, what do they call that fishing where you like, um... Not the one where you sit in the boat, but like you put on those big rubber boots and you actually get waiters. Yeah, you do that. I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at a pair of waiters that are hanging up in my place right now. Yeah. Oh, I've got, I've got, I've gone on like we used to go on fishing trips to uh to Idaho every year to this like remote place in Idaho where it's like you take this tiny plane and you have to drive like three hours into the into the mountains and. Uh, Oh yeah, I, I love me some fishing. All right. It's funny when I wrestle more, when I wrestle a lot is when I fish the most because I think just uh, after being so up all the time, just always being uh, where you're just 
everything is so escalated. It's nice to just get out on the water and just not speak and just kind of like be in the quiet with your thoughts. And, and the only thing you have to worry about is like, oh, is that a snag or a bite? <laughs> All right, question number six. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, are you a believer in the existence of the paranormal? Oh man, I see ghosts all the time. It's crazy. It, uh, the first time I ever, well, the first dream I ever had was, I don't know if you've ever heard of astral projection. Yes, I have. So the first dream, I, I'm not saying this was astral projection, but uh, my first ever dream was I was in these clouds in my yard and these old ladies that these old ladies my dad was looking for me and these old ladies were trying to hide me from my dad in the yard in front of our house and my dad found me and took me back into the house and that's the first dream I remember having when I was a little kid and everybody I've told that to is like that wasn't a dream that was an astral projection uh not everybody but you know a lot of people a number of people that number could be one um, but, uh, when I was in high school also, uh, nobody else was home at my, besides my dog at my house. I'm like 16 years old. I go to plug in my phone and I look to my left and we had like a dining room and it was dark. Uh, it was dark and I see this figure and it's got, it's probably like, I've been, I've been six foot five since I was like 14 years old. So this figure was probably like, oh man, like maybe five feet tall. And it was like gray, grayish silver. And it was like, it was like made of light almost. And it had like, the hair just kind of looked spiky, but it wasn't even really hair. It was just kind of this, this weird figure. And I looked at it and I saw it and I could just tell from the energy that it was really pissed off that I saw it. And it jumped up into the left and was gone. And my dog started going crazy after that. And I was like, what? I was like, what the hell? We found out later. The family that lived in that house before us had a son that was high school age that passed away in the house. Um, and then uh, when I was in college, I lived the house that I lived in with, I lived in a house, rented a house with three wrestler, three other wrestlers and four football players. So it was a big party house, but it was built in 1910 as a funeral home. And you would have Ooh. all kinds of crazy stuff happen then. So yeah, sure. I really, I believe in ghosts. I uh, I feel like I have seen ghosts and been around ghosts. I'm terrified of ghosts. But uh, it's one of those things where like, I feel like I'm scared of ghosts, but like, I'll be like, yeah, I'll walk through that graveyard at night. Cause it's like <laughs> one of those things where it's like, you're scared of, but you're so interested in. Yeah. All right, well, that's some good evidence there. That's like, I'm, right? I, I, I love that stuff. Like, I love the paranormal shows, the ghost adventures, and all that. But like, I've never had a paranormal experience, so I'm still I'm a skeptic. But when I hear stories like that, it makes me a believer because I know you wouldn't lie to me. No, I wouldn't. The uh, when I was 16, that thing I can't get it out of my head. Like, I still remember what that little figure looked like, and like I could draw it. It just man, it was uh, it was really real and. After that, I didn't like being in our house after that. It was it was just it always had a really weird feeling for me. Sure. Well, I can't blame you for that. All right, question number seven. When you were a young man growing up, who was who was your celebrity crush? Ooh, when I was a young man growing up? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Who who did you have a crush on back then? Sable. Sable. Okay, good answer. You know, let's let hopefully Brock Lesnar's not listening to this. 
Oh man, what if he was? What if, what if Brock Lesnar got so mad that I said that I, as a child, had a crush on Sable that he like tried to hunt me? You know, Brock Lesnar, if you're offended that I thought that you're that I had a crush on your uh, on your wife when I was a child, then come find me and beat me up. Yeah, I don't know if he would find you know think oh that's a, that's a great compliment. You thought my wife was hot back in the day, or if he would yeah be pissed because man you never know how Brock's going to react to anything so. That's true. A little bit of a different cat. Okay. I thought it might have been, you know, I thought I saw one of your Magnum or your Mile High Minutes. I thought I saw one with a poster of Farrah Fawcett in the background. Is that correct? Fair. Yeah, I, I used to have a Farrah Fawcett poster. Um, I thought you were going to say Farrah. I really did. Sable was always number one in a great rite of passage. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I think I was like probably 10 years old uh, is when it started. Every year, my my dad would buy me the uh, well. He got me a Sports Illustrated. Uh, some, he got me a Sports Illustrated subscription. And before I was ten, my mom would always take out the uh, swimsuit edition. Once I turned ten, my dad's like, you know what? You can't keep this from him. Let let him see the swimsuit edition. So there's also in the uh, in whatever in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition from when I was uh, ten years old. Also, probably a lot of my huge crushes at the time. I just didn't know their names. Right. Well, it didn't matter what their names were at that point. True. All right. All right. Question number eight. What's the biggest difference, if you had to pick one out, between living in the Midwest, where you've spent, spent some time, obviously, and living on the East Coast? What's the biggest difference? The people. Uh, people are so – people are so much more so – they're meaner on the East Coast. Everyone's a little grumpier. But it's like, it's a lot more no-nonsense as well. Things happen faster. And so it's, uh, yeah, in the, in the Midwest, for example, you're, if you honk your horn at somebody, it's because, like, you want to fist fight them <laughs> in traffic. Like, and then on the East Coast, it's like someone is just in front of you. They, could, they, they might not even be in your way. And you're just going to honk your horn at them. Like, that's, like, a very small example. But, yeah, people are so much more brash and abrupt on the East Coast. We're in the Midwest, a lot more like, oh, bless your heart. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a bunch of trash about you when you leave. Hey, so yeah, I say. Yeah, go ahead. Lot, no, no, yeah, just people are more fake nice in the Midwest. Okay. Yeah, I can see that too. I, can, I definitely can see that. We're a little angry here on the East Coast. There's no doubt about that. And the difference from Colorado is everyone in Colorado is better looking than people on the East Coast. Well, I you know I can't speak to that because I haven't spent enough time there. But I think in general. Don't you think maybe warm weather, people that live in a warm weather climate are just kind of, are, are usually better looking just because, you know, they, they wear fewer uh, clothes and they have beaches and, and that they work harder to look good. So I think it's, well, I think with Colorado, I think Colorado is one of those places where it's just, people are, it's a really active area. And I feel like it just kind of goes, uh, it's almost contagious. And so everybody works out and everybody's in great shape. And it's almost a little weird, almost a little creepy there. Like it's almost like, like Stepford Wives type where it's like, okay, maybe everybody's a little too into fitness out here. But, uh, right. but yeah, I, I, I definitely noticed that from Colorado going to other places. I'm like, oh man, people don't aren't nearly as attractive as they are in Colorado. Well, yeah, and thinking about it too, I guess it shoots down my theory a little bit because obviously there are harsh winters in Colorado. But I think it's, I think of more of places like Florida, California. Seems like there's a lot of lot of uh, attractive people in those places. That's true. I think part of it has to do with, uh, at least in the West, 
I think part of it has to do with like westward expansion where it's like uh like Oregon Trail times people were not people are dropping from cholera and scarlet fever and stuff like that so only the people with like you know like the like only the people that uh only like you know the the strongest and the healthiest wow. people are going to survive and so it's a little bit of a uh, a little bit of like trimming trimming the tree you know yeah yeah strong constitutions that people have yes yeah, i get that all right question number 9 you'll love this one question number 9 who is your favorite member of the ROH announced team? Would it be Ian Riccoboni, Caprice Coleman, or Quinn McKay? Um, well, I would say that it is a tie for number one mm-hmm. between Ian and Caprice. Actually, the tie for number one is actually pushed. Ian is my favorite member of the announced team because uh, I really, really enjoy how... Uh, how into sports he is. I'm a sports guy and Ian yeah. is a sports guy. So Ian, the, the way that Ian uh, can bring things back to sports and he's very metaphorical with sports. I feel like I could show, I could show someone who's a sports fan, a ring of honor show. And if he heard Ian and Caprice, he'd be, they'd be able to, they'd be able to follow it and know what's going on. And I think that's especially because of Ian's like sports metaphors and just kind of, the way he talks, he sounds like someone that you could, you, I could hear Ian, Ian calling a uh, an NFL game, you know, or Absolutely. a Major League Baseball game. Yeah. Okay, good answer. And, and, and Quinn McKay is pretty good too. Yeah, you know, I've had her on the show. She gets a little uh, feisty at times. Like I, I just, I I've don't. Heard. Know. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm talking about? I've All heard right. she's pretty short. Yeah. Well, don't tell her that. You know, I I, I think I, I I wrote something like that one time. I think I told her uh, or suggested. That she may have a Napoleon, uh, Napoleon complex, and uh, really, yeah, I think she shot the f word at me after that. You, you know, it's really funny you say that because I've heard rumors that at the gym she works out at, uh, everyone gave her the nickname the Little General. The Little General. She's so bossy. Yeah. Well, that's great. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, I'm not very close to the situation. Right. But, uh, right. You I'm can gonna, only assume. I'm gonna make a yeah, note. Yeah, you can only assume. I'm making a note of that. The little general. The little general. I'm writing that down. I'm going to try and work that into an upcoming uh, episode or edition of the X Files. I think. Oh man, Got this it. is this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> All right, question number ten. This is the final question, and this is just a yes or no. Is the Mile High Magnum a member of the Mile High Club? Yes or no. That's an affirmative. Mm. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Okay. I hope your mom is your mom uh, still with us. Is is your mom still? She is. Okay. She, uh, but she does not follow my wrestling career very oh, closely. Good. I think you I've. Might, uh, might frown. I think Sammy, Sammy Six Guns Junior. scared her off enough <laughs> from following my wrestling career. <laughs> she. So she will. Uh, it's really funny because my mom. When she decides that she wants to, uh, when she decides that she wants to look up my wrestling career, she's not on social media or anything. She's a, she's the best. She's so wonderful. Um, when she decides she wants to look up my wrestling career, it's like she'll always find like she'll be like, oh, let me Google Dak Draper, and it'll be like, you know, some art like some article that some guy like who like some someone who's not really a journalist, you know, somebody who's just like they're posting their blog only for like them and their friends and they hate Dak Draper or something. She'll not find like, that like article. Me. Not like me. No. Right. 
no, she'll she'll find like that, or she'll find like, for example, beefcakes of wrestling, Dak Draper, <laughs> and it'll be like stuff like that, and she'll be like, I don't know about this wrestling thing that you're doing. It's like you're not looking at the right stuff. Just go to go to rohwrestling.com. That's right. All right, yeah, because I, I don't want her to know about this mile high stuff. Like that's she probably would not not like that. You know. You know that 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 probably wouldn't be the worst thing that she would know about. Me, yeah. so. so don't worry. <laughs> Maybe I need to interview um, Mrs. Draper. I really get this. Oh man! Listen, if you get if you get if you get uh, if you get old DD Draper on the uh, on this interview, then shame on you because <laughs> uh, you're you're going to be in a world of hurt with her. She's uh, she'll be asking she'll be asking you the questions. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> scratch that off the list here. I'm not going to. All right. Uh, before I let you go, Dak, uh, social media, where can people follow you? I am most active on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those handles are at Mile High Magnum, all one word. And uh, that's, yeah, my YouTube channel also is the same thing, Mile High Magnum, all one word. You can find the old Magnum Minutes on there. And uh, hopefully there'll be some new Magnum Minutes going up soon. All right. Well, Dak, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, you're very entertaining, as I knew you would be. And uh, like I said, I think the people who voted in that poll on ROHWrestling.com, I think they got it right. I think it's going to be a big year for you. And just looking forward to seeing what you do. Me, me winning that breakout star poll really makes me uh, feel excited for the future that that many people would vote that way. You know, it makes I, me proud of those people. Yes. We won't say everyone sh- that didn't vote. Shame on them. That's right. Shame on them. I almost stepped on your line there. <laughs> all right. Well, it's thanks. Right. Again. And uh, hey, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And uh, remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on the ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels, at Ring of Honor on Twitter. Dak, don't cough through my closing here, please. Uh, that was a that was a female cough. Oh, all right. Sorry, well, that whoever I that, live a wild life. Whoever that was in the back, whoever that female was, tell her tell her we're we're doing business here. Okay. All right, we'll do. So keep it locked on to rohwrestling.com and roh's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com/slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest roh news and views, you can read my column. X-Files every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.